Welcome to the 101st edition of the Guna Podcast, recorded on the Monday night before Milan's visit to Arsenal for the second leg of the Champions League last 16 tie. This podcast is sponsored by Gunashirts.com, the finest website for all your Arsenal t-shirts. I'm your host, David Udo, and remaining with me from our centenary special sp- uh, podcast just recorded are Steve Ashford, Simon Rose and Kevin Witcher. Now chaps, I mean, the, the, the last, last huge set of... Um, of podcast we did I mean things were absolutely terrible I mean um, we, we were losing to, uh, against teams left right and centre and, and yet recently we we appear to start winning again I mean you look at our last recent league games that's going absolutely fine um, Simon are things on the way up? Uh, they certainly seem to be um, you think the last two results against Spurs and Liverpool um, suddenly win the top four uh, and to most observers our favourites to stay there before those last two games, people were wishing to assume we were not going to get in the top four at all, and it was all set in stone. It's amazing what difference two wins make. When you <laughs> think of you know, when we were 2-0 down to Spurs, you really could not have envisaged, even in your wildest hopes, mm-hmm. the comeback came then and get such a great result at Liverpool. What are your thoughts on, on things, Steve? I mean, are you, are you an awful lot happier than you were since last time I saw you? Uh, very happy. Very happy, David. In fact, <coughs> the last podcast was after the seven-one against Blackburn. Absolutely. So we were on quite a good mood that day. <coughs> I think. I think at that time, a lot of us were still saying, "Yeah, we're on seven-one yeah. bit against the bottom of the league side." Yeah, we all predicted we'd get a result against Blackburn against um, AC Milan. <coughs> Sadly, that didn't happen. Um, and I did say that I would not write a critical article with Guna this season, and I still haven't done yet. Uh, and I don't expect to either. Um, at the moment, <coughs> I'm really pleased with the way things are going. I love it at the moment. Things are great. Kev, are you the hat-trick of happiness, very when I got the first two? Well, I'm certainly delighted that um, <clears throat> we've made the uh, higher reaches of fourth place, and, uh, you know, <laughs> it's uh, so high, I think I need some oxygen or something, but, uh, um, I mean, it, it's, it just shows what a, A, unpredictable uh, sport football can be, uh, and B, how inconsistent Arsenal can be. Because even, in fairness, in the victory at Liverpool, uh, we, we were pretty awful for, you know, the first, probably, well, most of the first half, in, in, in truth. And uh, we got a result. And uh, what's nice is the hope that maybe this season it's Spurs who have a bit of a collapse with the spring. And um, we, for once, put our house in order and actually get points from games we should win and and you know people are talking about now overtaking Spurs and coming third I mean this is unthinkable so it's just it just shows a what a few wins can do for the, for the feel-good factor and B how incredible it is that other teams have, have collapsed even worse than we have um, Chelsea being the obvious example I mean th- 
but bear in mind it has been really good in the league recently uh, I mean we have got four wins on the trot which in itself looks like a miracle for Arsenal this season but I mean there hasn't been good news in the pub, in the Cups obviously, obviously tomorrow night we're going into, into battle against AC Milan having to simply get a 5-0 win we went out of the FA Cup to a very very poor Sunderland side so I mean, I mean Simon why is there such a contrast between Arsenal in the Cup and now we've been recently in the league I think something which is interesting in the last few, few games against Spurs and Liverpool, also Blackburn included, is that we've suddenly got a host of players in the box when we're attacking. You know, I think the, the Riziki goal against Spurs, there was almost a, a line of players queuing up to score, which is almost unheard of with Arsenal in the last couple of seasons. Champions League is hard. I think people thought, oh yeah, AC Milan, that's the team, we've got a bunch of old players, we've beaten them before, so obviously we'll win that. And the fact is, it's not the same Milan team from four years ago. Okay, so the players might be older than ours, but probably not by a lot. They do change their players around quite a bit. And it's one of those games in the San Siro where everything they did, particularly including from early on, it just turned to goal. You know, they got goals, and then the next chance, a goal, and at 2-0 you're thinking, you know, get a goal back, we've got a chance. Bang, you know, a slip up from, you know, from Ireland, suddenly it's 3-0. That all just went terribly wrong. So that in that competition obviously it's less us in a, in a perilous state we may obviously we'll know uh, how tomorrow works out but the league sorry the FA Cup at Sunderland you just knew that was not going to happen for us even though mm. we've been there the week before and won in the league you know, wonderfully with Thierry scoring you just knew after the Milan pasting we were going to get done at Sunderland and that's probably <laughs> almost, almost like in their minds okay we'll let that go because really we kind of do without putting too much effort into that because we wouldn't get in the top four. Mm. Well, I mean, Steve, I mean, Thierry's first game seemed like a perfect thing. I mean, it made the front cover of our magazine and uh, everyone was ridiculously happy being Arsenal associated or a supporter of that evening. But looking at his final two appearances, we're, we're looking at a huge contrast of emotions. On the Saturday, he scores the last second winner against Sunderland um, and then uh, four days later gets brought on at half-time to try and rescue us uh, being 2-0 down against Dace Milan and behold it finishes 4-0 I mean that is a huge contrast for emotions isn't it? Absolutely <clears throat> I mean I was the I was the, the least expected I mean I really thought we would go to AC Milan and get a result and when Henry came on at half time I thought oh great Walcott's gone off not my favourite player I have to say um, we've got a bit of a chance now get a goal back keep it at 2-1 we'll be okay didn't work out like that Henry like the rest of the players just didn't perform that night the following week we go to Sunderland and when we had that magnificent result at Sunderland in the league the previous week I kind of had a feeling on that horrible pitch of theirs given the way we play that we wouldn't win their two weeks running they were determined hard physical side Sunderland <coughs> with, a, with a very ambitious manager and to win the league game was unbelievable fantastic I really didn't expect to win the cup game as well. If we had it done, it would have been a huge bonus. Mm -hmm. Out of two of them, I'm glad we won the league game because long term, I want top three or four. I think you've got to remember also that uh, on those respective two weekends, one of the teams had played a cup match about three days earlier. Mm -hmm. And um, the first time when we uh, got the result, Sunderland had... Um, uh, they, they beat Middlesbrough were they knocked out so. they beat Middlesbrough because so they were playing us at the time yeah they were playing us so they had, they'd had the, nine, they'd had the 90 minutes plus half an hour extra time yeah. Yeah. before the league game yeah. we had the Milan game and then we put the them late as a yeah. Yeah. effect so I mean I, I don't think that was an irrelevance at all and in fact I did uh, a little uh, Q&A for uh, 
um, a Sunderland uh, website and I said you know because of that before the game I fancied Sunderland to win um, especially given you know the nature of their pitch and the fact it probably was going to be a fairly physical affair um, so we ran out of steam a bit the players weren't really at all at the races I mean they've been slagged off for lack of commitment but there was an element of fatigue I'm sure um, I don't think you can really underestimate the the, 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 the value of those pitches the, the, the AC Milan pitch was horrendous mm. I mean Walcott said every time he put his foot in the pitch he sank into it he couldn't run he's, he's, literally his boot stayed in the pitch when he put his foot out mm. you couldn't run on it you couldn't I know AC Milan did but they mm. they play on it every week I mean, well, they don't rely on pace. Just That's couldn't get any pace going, any <laughs> momentum going, mm. and the and the quagmire that was Sunderland mm. two weeks running, which did for Murtasaka and Ramsey in the long term. Mm. Um, for once, I think Wenger's right when he said the pitches were awful. You know, I, mm. I do ascertain a certain amount of blame to those pitches. In fact, that 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 Murtasaka injury, thinking about it now, was very reminiscent of a Luis Suarez dive. So <laughs> so spectacular and acrobatic yeah. was it. <laughs> You also got to look at the fact that Arsenal train on beautiful pitches. They play on a beautiful pitch here, mm-hmm. and okay to an extent. They're footballers. They kind of you could, you could argue should be able to play anywhere. The fact is, when they go somewhere that's got a really dreadful pitch that they aren't used to, that is just a basic difference. Milan are used to it. Will know certain little mm. tricks to just gain a slight advantage, even if it just means I can turn that way quicker than you can. Yeah. Banging comes a shot. All these things matter. Almost as though Arsenal essentially take advantage of the very small uh, reserve playing uh, agreement they've got with Barnet and then basically spend the two days before a game on a shitty pitch, somewhere like that, on the hill. I don't think it's a stupid idea by any stretch, but I think there's, there's more chance of Arsenal signing Lord Lucan than undergoing that in the summer. I mean, whilst it's, it has been a good few weeks with us, with us having won four in a row uh, in the league um, you've got things like Manchester United have gone from being 10 points in front of us and definitely finishing th- uh, definitely finishing third finishing third excuse me and uh, now they're four points in front of us and could well be collapsing you're talking about Tottenham not Manchester United sorry yeah, excuse me yes uh, Spurs no the Manchester United and, and their close rivals Man City are unfortunately miles ahead of everyone and I think we can accept that they are going to be the two teams contesting for the title however with us Spurs Newcastle Castle and Liverpool and Chelsea in a position where we're winning some weeks, winning some other, uh, sorry, losing some next weeks. Uh, who's going to end up in the third and fourth place now? What do you think, Kev? Um, I've got a feeling that Spurs might actually collapse. Um, I just get this feeling about the club, um, partially obviously because of a distraction of this England thing, um, but also. In a way, they're they're in heady heights territory now. Spurs, you know, they've they've got this chance. I mean, I know they did make the Champions League once before in fourth place, I think. But uh, you know, they're rarely up here, and um, just just these little signs that they might actually collapse. Um, I mean, Adebayor, for example, is he thinking next year I want to be playing Champions League football here, or is he thinking? Where am I going to be playing next season? You know, uh, mm. it's that kind of thing. It's it's times like this where you you need your players to be focused and experienced and um, get the job done. And in a sense, I'm not sure most of these Spurs players have been down this road quite often enough. Uh, I can't remember the season they did make the Champions League, but they finished fourth. 
Yeah. And then got in through in a qualifier. Oh, oh no, it was yes. the third they finished. I can't remember any qualifiers. They did win a qualifier. They did. Yeah. They did yeah. win a qualifier. Yeah. No, so no. they're definitely below us. Yeah. I don't know how much pressure they were under or if they sort of kind of sneaked in at the end. But here, now, it's expected. You know, people are, are basically already put them in, in the competition next season. The qualifier was against the Swiss team. They were three down and they came back to win. Oh, yeah. Basel, was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, the young boys. Young boys, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if third and fourth place were filled by Arsenal and Chelsea well I think Chelsea I think the players at Chelsea will start playing now mm. because I think Di Matteo is like a buddy and he's going to pick the old guard and they'll 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 put in a shift because they're playing for their mate kind of thing so you think it'll be Arsenal and Chelsea in third and fourth I think not necessarily not well I mean I think the odds are that Spurs should be top four but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they just slipped out Spoken like a true Arsenal fan. Spoken like a true Arsenal fan. There's wishful thinking at least. Simon, I send you down to Labrooks tomorrow with £50 and say bet on who's going to finish third and fourth. Who are you going to put your money on? Arsenal Chelsea. To me, um, I always say this is a little season in in the fanzine, in in the blog, and uh, on Twitter that I have no qualms about Arsenal finishing above Spurs. Um, And Chelsea having a ridiculous season uh, is just beautiful for us because they're, they're below us really you know, Chelsea should be in that 5 to 10 points ahead of us bracket and they're not there behind us which is astounding um, I just feel that you get Spurs are kind of club that if things are going well early they believe all the hype going and the media like to decide after 9 games because the team has suddenly moved 4 points ahead that's it title race is over everyone else is wasting their time and there's just such premature talk about teams relatively early season successes but teams don't win the league after 17 games or 23 games you get to that point sort of 25-ish or so games where teams are kind of out on their feet and they've got, still got 13 odd games to play and we're, we've just reached that point of going over the kind of two-thirds point in the season and Arsenal can see it out we've had really rough spells earlier in the campaign yet we're still in contention we've had a couple of good wins and suddenly we're up into the top four, mm-hmm. and prior to when we played Spurs, they had had literally about as good a season as they could possibly have had. They played, played well. Mm-hmm. They were being called the Barcelona of the Premier League, honestly. <laughs> They'd won loads of great games. Hadn't really lost many games. You would have thought they weren't going to lose. And then suddenly, where, where it got them? They were just in that kind of third, fourth position. They couldn't get any better than that because teams were above them. And now suddenly, it's going a bit wrong and they look like they're stumbling they look as if they don't believe they can get the wins mm. but it went to 3-2 here in that game against them the proper team would have made sure they at least drew that game 3-3 yeah. but they really just they, <coughs> they were gone they should, they, they should never have lost that game 5-2 but they couldn't stop it they got came by United even though United didn't play that great in the game I just think Spurs are losing it and don't know quite how to get it back mm. and that will allow Arsenal in better form now and like you say Kev the Chelsea team that might just rely on the, the known players for the rest of the season just to by, by the end of that 38th game just to have just gone above them Steve I mean it's been relatively recently in the last sort of four or six weeks Alex Ferguson has said as far as he's concerned that this is the first season he can remember where Tottenham have a genuine chance to fight for the title are they going to finish in the third and fourth? Good question uh, I agree with what um, Kevin and Simon have just said but I'm not too sure that Spurs aren't going to finish in the top four. I'd like to think Arsenal will. I think Chelsea and Spurs will fight out 
the other position. Um, I don't think Di Matteo is going to do a brilliant job at Chelsea. Uh, I think Spurs on their day, with all their players fit, are possibly better side than Chelsea at the moment. Uh, I think the, 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 the mood and the morale in the Chelsea camp, now that mm. AVB's gone, might swing it in their favour. Uh, but what I do agree with is that I do see Spurs collapsing. They were without three players against Man United for various reasons. Parker was suspended, Bale was injured, Van der Vaart was injured. Mm-hmm. We've been without three players all season. <coughs> We've been without... Um, both our full-backs. Fabregas, Nasri, Wilshere. You know, never had two centre-halves fit, a three-week run-in or whatever. Mm. And we're still up there in fourth. Spurs have had no relative injuries anywhere near as bad as we've had. Um, and they can't cope for one match. Mm. So I, I think, you know, we'll be third. Could I ask what's happened to William Gallus? He's got a bad injury. He had a calf injury that they said was quite serious. We'll keep him out for a while. The famous calf injury, which he always got when he played for us this time of the season. Yes. Remember, he always used to miss the end of the season. Every year, he missed the end of the season with a calf injury. In fairness to Gallus, it was generally timed with our collapse. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what, maybe Wenger is a genius after all. Because he got rid of Alice, Gallus for that reason. Well, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, the argument is he shouldn't have got him in the first place. Yeah. But uh, there we are. That's it's just amazing one. when you think that how potent an early season good run of form appears, and that people think it's just going to last the whole campaign, and yet. Well, how campaign- many times have Arsenal been there? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Once the campaign's out of the way, and you look back, it's a campaign where you finish finished fourth, all that detail from week to week is just history. It's all the bottom mm. line of what is that final league table. And that's why the Arsenal need to win something. It doesn't matter what they win. It's just just so they can get that sense of belief. That First place, Steph, a trophy? Well, you see, this is the problem. You see, <laughs> if, they're, if they're told that and they actually believe that rubbish, then they're not going to focus so much on the FA Cup or but the Champions League. Earlier, but we said earlier in the season, if Arsenal finish in the top four this year, it will be Wenger's best ever achievement do who said Rose, that who the press said, said it the, the press, press said, said it right. we said it I didn't I think say it was generally accepted I did not case. say it given that we'd lost Fabregas Nazri we lost the fullbacks we lost the centre halves you know we, literally we, we were down to the bare bones everyone said if we finish in the top four it'd be a miracle Wenger's best ever achievement it looks like we are going to are we going to give him the credit well <laughs> I'm obviously not because uh, <laughs> I want a different manager but uh, I mean at the end of the day um, Arsenal on their wage bill should be finishing in fourth place. All right, that's how it tends to work in football. If you look at the league table over the last fifteen years, you might change a position up or down, but in the top sort of half a dozen positions, it tends to be based on what you're laying out in salaries. And so, to become third actually is an overachievement, believe it or not. But how sad is it that football is so predictable now mm. that on the wage bill determines who's going to win the, the league? Well, on the, the subject of, of the two things you've just been talking about, the pair of you, uh, the wage bill at Arsenal and uh, what's... Um, uh, sorry, the, all, all the, the problems we've had with the back four this year in the sense it's essentially become the back 12 based on different players we've had. We've only had one issue with the contract and um, Johan Duru uh, ended up signing what is going to be a several year contract I'm sure. Um, apparently, such our, our information is such that his current deal is supposedly paying our fourth choice centre half and third choice right back £50,000 a week. Two and a half million pounds a year and a little bit more. Um, that's a little bit odd, isn't it, Simon? 
it is. I mean, the amounts that players get, you know, is staggering. You kind of get used to hearing the figures, and it almost becomes the norm. But the, the figures actually are, in isolation, very big. And the problem is, people people get very upset thinking, "Oh, we're paying players, mediocre players, far too much money. We therefore can't get shot of them." Whether it's talking about Scalacci or Armenia or whoever. I guess the thing is, Arsenal speculated to accumulate. They had players, maybe like some Vela and Danielson, say, who were young players who people thought, or the club thought, we've got to pay them a decent whack, otherwise other clubs will want to sign them. Mm. That's to pay them an amount to kind of retain them, if you like. Yeah. And of course, if they haven't then fulfilled the potential, it looks ridiculous to be paying them what then appears to be that much. 50,000, when you think of what other clubs play, uh, pay their players, maybe the clubs around us, mm. might seem kind of small. But it, yeah, if, for a player who's, not, who's mostly not been that impressive, apart from a, a spell last season, it does seem a bit daft at a time when he's not played well for us this season, Giroud, so then suddenly essentially reward him with a new deal. Why does it have to be for several seasons, give him a one-year extension if you think he's going to get over his problems and get into better form? Yeah, I mean, on the subject of the wage bill, um, everyone listening at home, we're currently looking at um, a load of information from the Arsenal Truth website. Um, Kev, how much credibility do we, get, do we give these figures, which are showing things like £60,000 will pay Per Mertesacre as our best and arguably first choice centre-half, but it will also pay Sebastian Scalacci and Manuel Armunia the same amount? Well, they've taken the figures from the total wage bill and attempted to deconstruct uh, who's getting what. So the one thing you can say is that the figures in total are correct. Which means these can't be that far out. You know, you might you might say that instead of Shamak making fifty grand, he's making sixty grand, and that uh, Skidarchi's making fifty instead of sixty. But the the bottom line is, there are some players here, squad players, who uh, are now considered not good enough to even get on the bench, who are being paid over three million pound a year. Now, Ivan Gazidis has admitted that there is a bit of fat in the wage bill. And I would suggest that giving Juru a contract renewal at, at uh, two and a half million a year means it is just going to continue. Because what seems to be happening is that the manager is deciding who gets paid what, and he's showing fierce loyalty in an attempt to be proved right about some of his prospects. And already we've seen him have to admit defeat on some of them, and it's time he admitted defeat on a few more of them because, frankly, the kind of sums we're paying them could actually buy three or four top-class superstar players, which is exactly what we need if we're going to start winning things again. I can't believe that, that he's given Juru that contract. I mean, Juru is dead wood. He wouldn't, he wouldn't get a contract to any other Premier League team. Oh, hang on. Yeah. He, I mean, someone like Bolton. Like, Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. He was the kid who went on loan to Birmingham for a season and said that he wanted to uh, display himself as a central midfield player, which is what he still believes he is now. He only played 14 games the entire season, 11 of them very, very poorly at centre half. Yeah. I mean, I can't, he's part of the dead wood we should be looking to get rid of. So when his contract expired, the old contract, we should look at what his form was like then, if it was good, giving him a new one year deal or something. If it was bad, say, thanks, Johan, you've been brilliant, off you go. Mm. But we, we've got him now for two or three years. Yes. He's unbelievable. It's a drain on resources. What um, you'd like to think maybe is that perhaps if they're thinking Skidachi's going to go in whichever way, 
that mm. the Juru on 50 grand a week um, is acceptable as a fourth choice defender if you're going to shift out Scalacci who maybe is that player now who's you know on what, I'd, I'd rather, 60 grand a week I'd rather keep Scalacci and get rid of Juru well see a lot of people say why the hell have we got Scalacci but in terms of his career before coming to Arsenal he had won league titles yeah. I believe in France he played for Valencia in the Champions League final he looked like a perfectly reasonable guy to bring in but no one mm. expecting him to be a first choice mm -hmm. player it just turned out to be very poor mm. therefore he looks like a dreadful signing and do you know what I think he looks poor when he plays with Juru we've never really seen Scalacci play with a decent centre half we've mm. only ever seen him play with Juru oh no he's yeah. played with Koscielny well and he's not impressed that much Koscielny wasn't brilliant last year when they played mm. together he's improved a lot Koscielny. I mean basically uh, he doesn't fit the English game that's the problem with Scalacci he, he's not physical enough and uh uh, it just it just doesn't fit. It just hasn't worked out. It's been a dreadful mistake. I'm pretty sure they probably tried to offload him in the summer without any success. And who can wonder? Because no one's going to pay him what he's going to be getting the next two seasons. Um, it's just a very poor um, piece of judgment by the manager. But you know, okay, you can live with that kind of thing if you don't give contract renewals to players you obviously know are not worth what you're paying them. But it's a bit bizarre though when you think the Arsenal talk about their business model and self-sustainability that they pay, they actually are coming out with deals that don't make a lot of sense. Okay, there's a market out there and we don't know exactly how some of these deals, these deals could fit into the kind of lower range of the general market there is for a fourth choice a central defender. But some of the, the ideas, I mean on the list we're looking at, that Carlos Vela is on 50 grand a week, I, I'm quite Unbelievable. stunned by Unbelievable. that. Unbelievable. So he never looked like a, a first choice striker. Yeah. No, I mean, Armand Traoré was on £40 grand a week before he left. Uh, he may or may not be earning the same yeah. at QPR. And uh, Park is on £40 grand a week. Uh, I mean, are we shifting £40 grand a week's worth of shirts in Korea? Uh, poor old Alex Oxlade's only on 20 Well, that, that, that will that. change. I mean, that's the, yeah. the, the kind of example where you do reward young talent, which they did with Wilshire last season, even though they're not approaching anywhere near the end of your de the, the, the deal, you say, okay, you are integral, and we recognise that, we do value you, so we're not going to just hold you to this contract, we're actually going to give you good terms. And part of that deal is obviously to get a natural couple of years extension. But the most important thing is you secure the player, and that if the player does ever leave for whatever circumstances, you'll get a bloody good price for them. I would rather have given Ignatius Miguel a wage rise rather than Giroud. I think he's a much better player. Well, he's certainly got he's certainly got the potential to be better because, frankly, he couldn't be much worse. So, yeah. Ignacio Mikel, a player that we have apparently come out and said we got him in the same way uh, as Fabregas in the sense that he left Barcelona uh, left Barcelona to come to Arsenal. Nothing to do with the fact that he was given a free transfer from Barcelona at the age of thirteen. That actually <laughs> happened. Well, we're going to take another short break before recording our third and final podcast of the evening. But for those of you who have just caught this one. If you want to email us about anything related to the podcast, the address is gunapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks once again to our sponsors, gunashirts.com. But before we go, a very brief word about the next issue of the Guna from our editor, Mr. Witcher. Well, the current issue of the Guna is issue number 223, and uh, by the time you hear this, it will only be available for one more home game, which is the Monday night uh, offering when uh, we entertain at Newcastle. So, um, £2 it is, it's got a cover of the Arsenal crest with a bit of change on the wording, and uh, not so much forward as backward, 
and it was put together at a time when we'd had a few dodgy results so uh, not one to uh, put a big smile on your face but some very good writing in there nevertheless thank you Gaffer with that this is your host David Udo bidding you farewell with my thanks for listening la di da di da la di da di di all good friends and joy company way. Well, hey.